Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Nance Harmon with Hedera Hashgraph. Welcome, Nance. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm very well. Thanks for asking. I'm, I'm glad to be on your show. Very good. Yeah, man. It's good to have you. So, Nance, give us a bit about your background. Yeah. Um, well, so me and my co-founder, Lehman Baird, who invented the Hashgraph algorithm, have been working together since 1993. We actually were young officers in the Air Force when we uh, were assigned to a team of five doing basic research in machine learning for the Air Force senior scientist for machine intelligence. And so we got our start working together in the field of machine learning. And then, um, and then we both taught computer science at the U.S. Air Force Academy. I was the course director for cybersecurity. Lehman ended up being a full professor there. Um, I then moved over to the Missile Defense Agency and ran a massive software program for them. Basically, we, we built a simulator that made it possible or makes it possible, present tense, for the government to learn how to protect its citizens and allies from incoming nuclear ballistic missiles. Lehman and I decided we wanted to start, a, wanted to start our first startup, become entrepreneurs, and so we we created a company in the field of identity and ended up selling that to a Fortune 500. 
I became the senior exec within that company for product security. We decided to uh, start a second company, which we did, again, in the field of identity. Ran that for six years, sold that to private equity. And then Lehman went to work in 2012, solving the problem where we're going to discuss today, distributed consensus. I went to work for a company called Ping Identity. I stood up their labs organization and also headed up architecture for Ping Identity. And then in 2015, Lehman had a breakthrough. That breakthrough we call today the hash graph. So formally, our backgrounds are both computer science. I have two degrees in computer science, most, re- most recently from the University of Massachusetts. Lehman has a PhD in computer science from Carnegie Mellon. And so we are deep uh, technologists, deep tech, and serial entrepreneurs with uh, mission-critical systems and machine learning and cybersecurity background. Very good. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds like a, a a very formidable background, especially with what you're doing now. So, what tell us about what the Hashgraph is? What does it do? Yeah, Hashgraph as an algorithm is an alternative to blockchain. Actually, it's an alternative to all other distributed consensus algorithms in the market, and it works fundamentally differently than everything else in the market. It has some fantastic properties. Uh, that others, well, no other algorithm in the market has. And I guess the simplest way to sort of describe how it compares to the rest of the market is that Hashgraph achieves the best that we can achieve in terms of bandwidth efficiency. In other words, throughput, we can maximize the number of transactions per second and minimize how long it takes the community to come to agreement uh, as well as, if not better, than everything else in the market. And it has achieved the best that one can achieve in terms of security. In, in the field of distributed consensus, there's a gold standard that's normally referred to as asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance. And that simply means that uh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of the nodes in the network, up to a third uh, of the nodes are in the network, can be lying to you. And it will still work. The system will still come to consensus without any uh, without any caveats. Meaning there are no uh, there's no opportunity to perform distributed denial of service attacks and other categories of attacks. Asynchronous BFT is the best that one can achieve. So let me just restate that was a little bit long-winded. Hashgraph as an algorithm achieves the best one can achieve in terms of performance for a given for the given level of security, and that given level of security is the best one can achieve in the field of distributed consensus. In other words, I think that what Lehman has invented here, it it solves the problem of distributed consensus at scale, and no one will ever do significantly better than Hashgraph, although it may be the case that somebody eventually figures out how to to do equally well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, Tell, tell me more how you mentioned early on that it's um, different. It's an alternative. It's better than blockchain. Yeah. How can how well, can you re- relate about, those two? Sure. If we think about Bitcoin, for example, I mean that's that's sort of the, what kicked it all off. And the blockchain that Bitcoin uses, Bitcoin globally can process on the order of five or six transactions per second, and it takes, so if Alice were to pay Bob a coin, it takes about an hour 
and maybe and sometimes much longer than that, for Bob to know with some degree of certainty that that coin is not going to disappear. So if Alice is buying something from Bob, Bob has to decide, do I go ahead and give Alice the goods or do I wait an hour before giving Alice the goods? So that's an awfully long time. And you can only do about five transactions per second for all of Bitcoin. And also the costs per transaction are really high. It's on the order of $20 per transaction today if you want to you know, do a transaction in the Bitcoin network. Hashgraph, on the other hand, um, at scale, will be able to publish or process rather hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. And the time it takes for the community to come to agreement on the order of transactions, in other words, how long it takes for Bob to know that coin's not going to disappear, is measured in seconds, a few seconds. And Bob knows with 100% certainty after a few seconds that the coin will never disappear, which is also different than, than blockchain. You never know for certain with blockchain. With Hashgraph, you have 100% certainty within seconds, and the cost per transaction is almost zero. Uh, in fact, it's it, because it doesn't use what Bitcoin blockchain uses, something called proof of work, um, the actual cost per transaction is extremely small, almost zero. So it really resolves all of the known problems associated with blockchain at the algorithm level, both in terms of performance and, and uh, cost and security. Now, is that something that can be integrated into blockchain technology or is it standalone? What, what are your thoughts on that? So it is not, it's an alternative to blockchain. The technologies work fundamentally differently. So blockchain, if you were to think about this architecturally, the, the term blockchain refers to a chain of blocks of transactions, as well as an algorithm that the community uses to put new blocks, choose which blocks go on top of this chain. But it is a chain. It's linear. Hashgraph is a term that refers both to the data structure. In this case, it's not a chain, it's a graph where every member in the network sort of represents a line in a graph. And then when the members submit transactions to the network, those transactions get woven together using the algorithm uh, and, and the community comes to agreement on the order of the transactions. And so they, they work fundamentally differently uh, there really is no way to directly integrate them. What we could do, and probably when the uh, when the market matures, what could happen is that there'll be some inter-ledger protocol or inter, well, that's what it would be called. And so blockchain is considered a, a distributed ledger of sorts. What we have is also a distributed ledger. There might be some way of making it possible for those ledgers to talk to each other and exchange information. But you wouldn't really sort of upgrade blockchain with Hashgraph, so to speak. You have to replace it. So um, help me out here. So in in terms of something like atomic swaps, where blockchains are dealing with separate blockchains, the um, interledger protocol could be almost related to that. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 it, exactly. So there needs to be – what we'll end up needing to do is, as an industry – is to figure out how we make these different chains or graphs, or I would say distributed ledgers in general, how we make them talk to each other 
in such a way that the information that is being shared from uh, ledger to ledger can be trusted and is interchangeable. Correct. Very good. What's the um, what's the community type of feedback on Hashgraph? The community loves Hashgraph. So um, yeah, let me give you a little brief history here of what we've done as a company. Okay. So in 2015, we launched the company Swirlds, S-W-I-R-L-D-S, Swirlds. It's a mashup of shared worlds. That's sort of our vision. And uh, we focused on enterprise use cases. We didn't really talk at all about building a public ledger uh, in, that would compete with Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or any of the other public ledgers. We were focused on enterprise use cases for permissioned ledgers or private networks. We got a lot of traction in that space and signed some big customers and have announced some of those, including the credit union industry in North America. Uh, we, we are the basis for a platform that um, addresses the needs of the 6,000 credit unions in North America, representing 105 million members. Then, that's all sort of phase one. Phase two, we always planned for uh, and we began to execute phase two late last fall, that being a public ledger. And two days ago, we had a big announcement in New York City at the PlayStation Theater. We did, a, we did an event where we sort of revealed the sister organization to Swirls, that is Hedera Hashgraph. And Hedera Hashgraph is chartered with going to market with a public ledger that will compete with the other public ledgers in the market. And um, all of that had not been publicly discussed until until just two days ago. And so, uh, for example, the, in terms of community response, the, um, the Telegram group, we have a Telegram group. Two days ago, it was at 20,000 members prior to the launch of the public network. I, don't, I haven't looked to see what it is today, probably 22, 23, 24,000 members, something like that. Um, and and we've got meetups happening around the world. I, I think we are in 70 cities. I forget how many countries that is, 25, 30 countries with dozens and dozens of ambassadors uh, around the world that are helping out with that. The, um, the, when the launch event, for example, when we announced that it was that registration was open for that event, that, that's there at, in, on Broadway and Times Square, a thousand seats in that theater, they all sold out in nine hours, which was just amazing. It was overwhelming to get that kind of response. We certainly didn't anticipate that. And then for the event itself, we we had a full house and over 80,000 unique uh, u- unique people that, ha- that logged into the live stream. So uh, it's been overwhelming. You know, the, the enthusiasm and excitement for Hashgraph was a little unexpected uh and it just sort of it just sort of exploded last fall when we uh when we did a few events and and now we're you know now we're moving on to phase two and uh i can talk about that there's a lot a lot coming in terms of the public network yeah definitely um yeah before we talk about that um tell me about some of the people you visited with at that event and like some of the unique things that they might have asked about or comments that they made you know, um, what was surprising to me is that people were flying in from around the globe to participate in this event. 
of course, the the audience was full of, of people from the U.S. Uh, and a lot of New Yorkers, as one might expect, given given that it was in New York City. But at the same time, we had people from South America and people from Asia and, and Ireland and London and other parts of Europe. Um, I so, so that was that was awesome. It was flattering. Um, the use cases that we're exploring. Um, well, so it's it's sort of like this. If I were to give you a database that can only process five transactions per second, and I give you a different database that can process hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, the applications that you build on one database versus the other are in some ways fundamentally different. And that what the, you know, the reason the community is excited is because we enable a set of use cases or applications that simply will not work on the first generation technology. We demonstrated some of those on screen there um, Tuesday night. We, we showed some games that were uh, built, you know, very quickly at a hackathon, and and then over a course of a couple of days, in, the, in another another case for a game, we had uh, Jordan Freed, our head of business development, talked about some of the use cases that we're working on today with partners that require hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, basically um, making it possible to remove fraud in some ways from the ad tech, advertising technology industry, making it so that people, when they purchase ads, they can be more certain that the ad clicks that are being reported to them are in fact valid clicks and that there's no fraud there. Um, Gabe Layden, who is the CEO of Machine Zone, you know, a multi-billion-dollar game company, was on stage uh, introducing Satori. It's a new product that they are going to market with that requires hundreds of thousands of transactions per second uh, and the consensus layer. And they are partnered with us and and building on top of us. So the you know the enthusiasm was really all around the the fact that we can now build applications uh, that just previously weren't possible to build with, with first-gen technology. What's, a, what's another example of one of those applications that you, we might see with this technology? Well, one thing is, you know, is this one is sort of old school in a sense, and then at the same time, we are able to enable it in a, a way that others haven't been able to. So it is cryptocurrency, but it is direct support for micropayments. If it costs $20 to process a transaction, then you don't pay somebody a thousandth of a penny, right? Because it doesn't make economic sense. On the other hand, if you can pay somebody, if Alice can pay Bob 1,000 of one cent, because the actual cost to Alice to pay Bob that that 1,000th of one cent is several orders of magnitude even smaller, then you open up entire new business models. For example, um, you know, every January, I did it this January, every January I get hit up by Wikipedia for a $3 or a $6 donation to cover their cost. You know, they're always asking for donations. If there were a wallet embedded into your web browser, a cryptocurrency wallet embedded into your web browser, and you can directly support micropayments of a thousandth of a penny, then it becomes possible for Wiki to Wikipedia or Wikimedia Foundation to charge C 
seamlessly, frictionlessly for each article that is read. Maybe when I'm browsing Wikipedia, I'm paying uh, a tenth of a cent for each article that I read. I, as the end user, I don't object to that. I want to support them, right? And they, as a business, need a way of having a sustaining revenue model that doesn't require them to beg for money all the time. This, you know, this type of um, uh, micropayment capability is new. It doesn't exist in the first-gen technology. The whole industry understands it's important, and the industry has been looking for other ways of enabling it. What we're able to do is do it directly on our platform, on our graph, uh, maintaining the same level of security I previously described, and do it at a price point that makes it economically possible. I think that is going to be huge. That, in, an, in its own right, is a killer application for distributed consensus. That's a that's a great idea, and that's a that's a great uh, mention of that too. I, I know I see the Wikipedia um, advertisements all the time for you know, hey, we really need your money to do, keep doing what we're doing. And yep, micro micro payments. Yeah, that's I think that's extremely fair and a great way to do it. So, yeah. So let's go back and talk a bit more about the public ledger that you know. Yeah, Hedera. So Hedera Hashgraph, it's it's actually two. It's Hedera Hashgraph as a as a business uh, solves two categories of problems. If we look at the public networks today, really there are four categories in two halves of problems that have to be addressed in order to take public ledgers mainstream. One technology. As I've already mentioned, you need to be able to process hundreds of thousands of transactions per second with seconds of consensus latency, not hours. Two, security. If it's the case that we're going to be processing or managing in some way billions or trillions of dollars of value on this on this network, then you have to prepare for it to be attacked. And, and preparation really means there that the algorithm itself, the very basis of everything, has to be solid math. You need to have the best security built in from the ground up at the algorithm level. Hashgraph addresses both of those concerns, both the performance and the security aspects that we've talked about. The other half uh, of, of, of what's required to go mainstream with these is stability in the platform and the governance model. And so, you know, one of the things that we can sort of count on as an industry today is that the major platforms are probably going to fork or split into competing platforms. Bitcoin split twice last year. Ethereum has split. The, the community at large and certainly the business community expects these platforms to be unstable. And it's a, it's a serious problem. It's a hindrance to the adoption of the use of these platforms by mainstream markets because they inter that introduces chaos. Companies don't want to spend millions of dollars building a product on a public platform knowing that it's highly likely that platform is going to fork and who knows what's going to happen after that. So that's a fundamental problem. And then the governance model. Um, the way we address the stability problem, it really is with in two ways. There are two ways in which we address it. One, we have technical controls that we built into our platform that make it possible for the governing body to actually uh, actually make changes to the code base, knowing that the nodes in the network, the, those that are running the, the software, 
will adopt those changes. We can be certain that those nodes are going to adopt the changes, and if they don't adopt the changes, then they can't participate in the network. So we have technical controls in that way. And then secondly, we have something that no one else in the industry has. We have legal controls. And what I mean by that is that Hashgraph, as an algorithm, a technology, is patented. Now, we're not using the patent in any sort of exploitative way. In fact, just the opposite. We're using it, using it as a governance tool. So anybody that wants to build product or use our platform, they can just do so without license from us, the, the Hedera Hashgraph platform. They can just go and use the platform. They don't even have to talk to us to use the platform. It's just open license for the use of the Hedera Hashgraph platform. However, we won't allow anybody to fork or clone the platform and then build a competing currency. In other words, we're bringing stability to the market while at the same time enabling open innovation on top of the platform. And then we're also adding transparency. The source code will be open for review with version 1.0, and that'll be later this year. And so anybody that wonders what's actually in the code, well, they won't have to wonder. They'll be able to look at it directly. They can compile it, compare it to the software they, they're using when running a node, et cetera. So we're being transparent. We're not being exploitative in any way in the use of the IP, but we are bringing stability in a way that no one else can. So that's number three, technology, security, stability. Number four is governance. Governance for us means that anybody that wants to download the software and participate in the network by running it will be able to do so. We call that open consensus. They'll be compensated for that contribution with the platform uh, cryptocurrency. And then, and then for the business itself, we are uh, pulling together a council of 39 global blue chip types of enterprises. These are enterprises that have tens of billions of dollars of market cap each individually, and they represent the best brands in their industry, and they're, it's global. So it's not a bunch of banks. There are some banks, but it's, it's banks and tech giants and healthcare and insurance and, and, and transportation and telcos. It's broad distribution across the industries as well as the geographies. We have, uh, we have members that we're working with that have made initial commitments on every continent and uh, we're pulling together the, the governance terms of how this council is going to work together. And really it was inspired by a guy named D. Hawk. D is the founder of the Visa Network back in the 60s. And he's recorded in a book that he wrote, One from Many, is the name of the book, the governance model that he used, they used when creating the Visa network, they had to have a governance model where the members, no single member in the in the network had any more or less control than any other member. It was a balanced governance model. We took our inspiration from that. That's what we're doing as well. And that's, you know, that's the fourth category of, uh, of uh, concern that needs to be addressed. So we're bringing in world-class expertise to help us have a world-class organization at, at every level, marketing, uh, tech steering committee, um, legal, regulatory, business operations. It's going to be run by the best organizations in the world. And that's Hedera Hashgraph. That doesn't exist 
today in the market that, that outside of us as far as as far as we know and we know you know we've seen all the public platforms of course it is unique both in terms of the technology and in the governance model and in our ability to address all of those four concerns what additional innovations will we see in Hedera Hashgraph in 2018 and beyond so there is one thing that we haven't it's in our white paper we haven't talked a lot about it publicly. Well, we just started talking publicly two days ago at our at our event. But in our white paper, um, we talk about the opportunity to to have something we call opt-in identity escrow. Uh, what we believe is that unless we begin to solve some of the problems for world government as it relates to regulation of the this category of technology, then it's possible, if not likely, that the world governments are going to start trying to shut this whole industry down, right? And none of us want that to happen. But if, if we think back to Bitcoin, when it was created, it was designed expressly to prevent world governments from regulating. It, you know, it was supposed to be anonymous currency. And uh, now that it's gotten adoption and it's become a you know a, a real concern on a global basis world governments are reacting you know some governments are reacting positively others are reacting negatively there's a lot of uncertainty what they really need is a way to be able to uh ensure that the the, the security of the transactions at least as as secure as the banking system is today and at the same time, we want to be sensitive to the fact that some people want to be anonymous. And so what we've done is, is built some infrastructure that makes it possible for any given um, uh, government to regulate its jurisdiction. It, so if the United States, for example, wanted to pass laws that say something like you can use these mechanisms, these opt-in identity escrow mechanisms provided by Hedera Hashgraph, um, and if you're a legitimate company in the United States, then you can only accept payments from wallets that that use these this standard. And so if I'm creating a, a, an account, a cryptocurrency account with Hedera, I might create two different kinds of wallets, one wallet being totally anonymous, the other wallet um, opting into this identity escrow system. And then uh, the U.S. government could say, uh, if I'm going to purchase uh, an iPhone from Apple and Apple's going to accept the cryptocurrency, that Apple would only accept cryptocurrency using this uh, using this wallet that has the identity uh, escrow system technology uh, built into it. It wouldn't be able to accept transactions directly from um, a a um, an anonymous wallet, it, and, and it would be more likely actually in it wouldn't actually be Apple. It would be far more likely that this would just be associated with the banks. So if we wanted to do KYC and, and address AML concerns, what we would advocate for is that uh, if I am uh, paying cryptocurrency or depositing cryptocurrency to banks or wanting to do any kind of exchange with the banks, that at that point there would be some form of identity escrow to address KYC and AML. Uh, bringing the level of the security of the cryptocurrency up to the existing bank level uh, of security. And each government will be able to set its own policies and its own rules, and it won't have anything to do with any other 
government. You know, the U.S. wouldn't have any say or control over transactions happening in uh, Russia or China, for example. So that's new. That's uh, innovation on our part that that is being built into the cryptocurrency and the infrastructure from day one. Very good. Very good. That's uh, that's exciting to hear, especially the speed of the, the transactions and um, speed and security, two things that I think can tend to hold us back from widespread adoption. I, I think about exactly. You know, I think about the volatility of you know we call it cryptocurrency, but it, it's it's such a volatile volatile world. It's not it's not adopted yet as a a currency. You know, so the amount of time that it takes to to get those transactions processed through and um, having that trust system, I, I think, is a stabilizing factor um, that can definitely lead us to the next thing. So yeah, that's very cool, Nance. It's been uh, it's been really great talking to you today. I wonder if you have any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up, and maybe where listeners can contact you or learn more about Hedera Hashgraph. Yes, well, if if the listeners want to go to hashgraph.com, that will take them to hedera-hashgraph.com, and they can uh, they can see the new website, and there's a white paper for download. I think you know where I would leave this is just. Uh, just the fact that we as a company view this as a mission. Uh, we, Our goal from day one has been to change the face of the internet. The internet uh, hasn't yet fully achieved you know, some of the vision that uh, we had for it 25 years ago, back in the early 90s when all this was getting started. Um, but we believe we now have technology that makes it possible to sort of maximize what the internet of tomorrow can be, that is a mission for us. I know a lot of people share it. And uh, for your listeners that, that, that share that vision and, and mission, we, we ask them to join us and to uh, take a look at what we have. And uh, we look forward to working with them in the future. Excellent. Nats, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your interest. Yeah, definitely. Nance Harmon with Hedera Hashgraph. You can find him at hashgraph.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening in to the Future Tech Podcast. We will see you next time. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, in their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, 
September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center. He's going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.